I'm going to ask the following groups of people to please stand because of today and what it is we are thinking about and remembering. If you are a first responder, a firefighter, a member of law enforcement, or a member of the United States military, active or retired, would you please stand so that we could thank you publicly for the safety that you provide? I know you're, lots of you are here. get to do what I do because you do what you do, and I am deeply grateful. Very, very grateful. A couple quick announcements as we get started. Uh, If you're a part of the Awana community, if you're a parent, if you're a leader, if you're a former leader, a potential leader, we're having a meeting this afternoon at 1.30 in the meeting place to talk about Awana coming up this year, and so I'd encourage you to come, and uh, I know I'm calling you out of 90-degree weather, big sacrifice, Um, but if you could forego that, this is an important meeting about Awana. We'd love to have you be there as well. I just want to let you know, church, next weekend, uh, we are privileged to have Gary Haugen with us. We've been waiting for almost a year to have Gary come. Gary's the president of the International Justice Mission. He works specifically in the area of human trafficking and sexual slavery. And if you don't think Whatcom County has this problem, then you need to get your head out of the sand, not be naive, and come and hear Gary next weekend as he speaks to us about simple justice um, and championing the cause of those who are hurting uh, right here in our own community. And so uh, Gary's going to be with us only on next Sunday morning, so we're doing something different with Saturday night, and uh, um, it doesn't affect you guys. You just show up next Saturday. I, I need you to hear what Gary has to say, and I can't wham us at front row and center to hear what it is that he has to talk to us about. Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And last week, we started a new series called Simple. And if you weren't able to be with us last weekend, I, want, I can't encourage you strongly enough to go to the website and actually watch it because I tried to set the stage and also kind of set up the heart of what it is we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. We're looking at the history of the first church because I believe if you don't know where you came from, there's no way you're going to figure out where you're going. I just believe that to be true. I could never figure out my ancestors. Why in the world, of all the places you could pick on the face of God's green earth to immigrate to, why would you go to Swan River, Manitoba? Makes no sense to me. I mean, to get to Swan River, you go to the middle of nowhere, turn left, drive six hours north, and then you get to Swan River, Manitoba. I had no idea why they would choose that place to live until I went back in history and I got an opportunity to go to the Ukraine in 2005. We drove towards the area where my ancestors immigrated from, and I got it just got it. They picked Swan River, Manitoba because it looked like home. They just got on a train in Halifax and kept going until they saw something that looked like home. And all of a sudden it made sense. And that helped me understand where I came from. And I believe has been a guiding, directing light for me as my life has gone along. Last week, we saw where we came from. We were in Matthew chapter 28, Acts chapter 1, and the bottom line was this statement. We learned it. The church began as a movement, not as a building. It began as a movement, a gathering of people called to the mission of loving God and loving people. And we met a group of people last week who were hiding in an upper room, freaked out because of everything that had happened to them in the weeks that followed. I mean, just think about it. They had just accepted Jesus, just begun to follow him. They'd listened to him teach. They watched him perform miracles, and they're thinking, this is really good. 
And then they come to Jerusalem and the whole city throws this massive parade for them. And like, this is awesome. Like we are in, this is a good thing. And, and then it just goes terribly wrong. I mean, that whole Judas thing happens, which nobody wants to talk about. And then Peter had that little human resources nightmare go on when he flipped on everybody. And then Jesus is dead and they are running for their lives. And then he's not dead, which is really good news, but somewhat hard to explain. I mean, I hope we ever, you know, always remember that. And then Jesus leaves them alone. He leaves them with nothing but a series of walking orders and a really big promise that somebody called the Holy Spirit was going to show up and empower them to accomplish this mission that we talked about last week. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this week. This week in Acts chapter 2 verse 4, this group of people, this ecclesia, there I just used a Greek word so you can think we're really deep and I'm really smart, okay? This ecclesia of people moves out and when they move out, God makes a really big entrance. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 2. This is what happens. When the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost was a Jewish festival. When that day came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on top of each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So get this picture. This group of 120 believers, they're all together in one place. And a big wind and a big fire comes from heaven. And the presence of the Holy Spirit, for the first time ever, settles on every one of God's people. And a miracle happens. Suddenly the people of the first church have the ability to speak to anybody who can listen to them in their own language. Now that's important because the Bible says at this time there were people in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. And suddenly, no matter where they grew up, or what language they spoke, they hear when the first century church starts telling the story of Jesus, how he was dead, and then he wasn't dead anymore. It's an amazing thing. This is what happens. First of all, God shows us by allowing every person here in their own language, we just get to see a snapshot of the inclusive heart of God. Because he still wants every single person of every single tribe, of every single tongue to hear that story. That's the God side of what we see. Here's what happens with the human side. They have to put it in a box. Every time something supernatural happens, human beings have to come up with a natural explanation. And this is their natural explanation to the fact that this group of people can actually speak and be understood in languages that they've never heard or understood before. This is their explanation. They're drunk. Read it for yourself. Acts chapter 2. They're drunk. That's their thing. Now, because of my colorful past, I have met a lot of drunk people. And I've never met one that got smarter. <laughs> Not one time. I have never met a drunk guy who was suddenly more intelligible or suddenly developed an acumen for linguistics. That has never happened. Ever, ever, ever. Come on, 10 o'clock, lighten up. Don't pretend like you've never seen a drunk person, okay? I've heard them slur. I've heard them get just stupid. I have never heard one just... IQ up 15 points. Never seen it happen. It's a miracle. There's no box for it. You can't just explain it away. It's a miracle. And Peter, who I tell you, man, if there was ever living proof of forgiveness for the past and hope for the future, it's Peter. He stands up and this is what he says. We're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's right out of the Bible, okay? 
That's what he says. He goes, but I do have something to say. And then Peter preaches the first sermon in church history. If you read the whole thing, it takes you about three and a half minutes. It's a simple message. This is what he says in Acts chapter 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Okay, I took homiletics courses when I was studying in Bible college, and this is what they taught you. Before you accuse anybody of anything, don't, I mean, you're just not even supposed to point the figure, but before you do that, if you press in on a, on a difficult part of their life, this is what you need to do. You need to soften the heart and say some nice things so people are open to hearing what you have to say. Apparently, Peter missed all of those classes. Because this is what he says. Less than two months ago, God put his kid right in the center of your life. And he did miracles, and you saw it. And this was your response. You murdered him. Every single one of you. You killed him. And then God brought him back to life you did it. That's a bold accusation right there. I mean, he says, you killed him, but God brought him back to life. And the people hear this, and this is what happens. They say, they say, we did see the miracles. And we did kill him. They respond with a simple question. Acts 2.37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They just realized all of a sudden, we just killed God's son. What shall we do? And Peter replied, go to church every single weekend and just be nice. <laughs> that in your Bible? I don't find that in my Bible. Okay, I just made that up. See if you were awake, okay? All right? It's not his answer. In fact, this is his simple answer. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what Peter says. I want you to repent. Turn 180 degrees from the sinful condition of your heart and turn directly towards the Jesus that you crucified. Give him your past, your present, and your future. Give it to Jesus right now. Confess your sin and receive forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. There's no just as I am. There's no altar call. Just immediate response and obedience and a filling with God the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. I want you to repent, be baptized, and then spend the rest of your life being indwelt by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to help you act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, love like Jesus, serve like Jesus. It, it's all going to be about him. Now, I know some people are sitting here and they're kind of skeptics and they're going, that ain't going to work. There's no follow-up program here, Grant. I mean, you're just going to trust the whole thing? I mean, where's the cards and the, and the you know, we've got to sing something? That's what the way it's got to be done, isn't it? Well, if you don't think it'll work, check out the big response in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a good first day right there, don't you think? The church went mega, and it's just opening day. From micro to mega in one day. One message and the anointing of God. Can you imagine the effect on this city? City of Jerusalem this time in history, about 60,000 people. Suddenly, 
One out of 20 people are telling the story of how God's son came, how he was crucified, and then came back to life again. That would have a significant effect. Christ the King, here's what we need to understand. Bellingham, somewhere between 60 and 80,000 people. Last weekend, gorgeous Labor Day weekend, about 3,000 people showed up for church right here. Does anybody see a correlation at all? Don't tell me it can't happen again. If we would just talk like they talked and share like they shared, there would be hope for this whole county coming to Jesus. Here's what happens next. They keep it simple. This is their simple focus. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. That they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is what they did. They said, let's listen. Let's learn. Let's keep going. Let's keep making disciples. Let's keep baptizing. All the things we talked about last week. Let, let, let's keep doing all of these things, but let's never neglect gathering together. Let's get together and eat and do life. That sounds like a great idea. Have somebody over for lunch. Let's talk about Jesus. That's how the first church kept it simple. I want you to remember this. Many, for many people, following Jesus meant that instantly they lost their family, their job, and their reputation. Suddenly, they were a part of the cult group. That's how they were seen originally. Suddenly, they were a part of the way. They weren't even called Christians at this point. They were a part of the way. But the world looked at them and said, you have lost your way and your mind. So they discover something. They actually need each other. No jobs means no food. So they have to make a decision. Here's what happens. The church breaks out in simple generosity. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together, had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They just decided this. We're all in this together, so if you have a need and I've got supply, I'm pushing all in. You need food and I got a little bit, I'll split it in half and you can have half. And that's how they looked after each other. Sounds so simple, but paid off with a big result. Here's the result, Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every single day, more people keep coming to Jesus. And this is what happens. The whole community sits up and take notice. They may not even agree with these people of the way, but they see the way they love each other. They see the way they take after, take care of each other. They kind of look at it like, I think this group of people is nuts, but I'd actually like to be a part of something like that. Well, Peter's the ringleader. He stands up and he keeps on preaching. I'll tell you what, I'd keep preaching too. 3,000 people came to Jesus in one day. I'd be calling for an encore. Let's do that again, right? And he ends up being pulled in front of a, a group of people known as the, the Jewish legal council in the area. The Jewish legal folks, they're freaking out because this group of people, this gathering of people is gaining momentum and they're actually starting to grow and spread. They're freaking out and Peter gets to preach to them again. But he sums his whole message up with one simple statement. The statement's this in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
No other name under heaven. The name of the empirical scientific method will not save you. The name of Joseph Smith will not save you. The name of your financial advisor will not save you. The name of your therapist will not save you. The name of Buddha will not save you. And I can keep going and get more politically incorrect as long as you need me to because this is the deal. Let me check one more time. Yes, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the name is Jesus. That's a bold message, and let me tell you why. He's saying it to the same guys that killed Jesus. He's saying it to the same group that has the same power to make him be very quiet for a really, really long time. But he just can't be quiet. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, and that name is Jesus. It's a bold message, and through that message, Peter and his friends, they develop a simple reputation. Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love that verse. What distinguished them was not their pedigree. And it wasn't their education. What distinguished them was the fact that they had been with Jesus. Christ the King, what distinguishes you? Well, I'm Dr. So-and-so. Who cares? I'm Mr. So-and-so. So? I love the fact that Jesus picked regular, ordinary, blue-collar people just like me and you. Ordinary, unschooled guys. Well, these guys get everybody all kind of all riled up because Peter's being bold and the Jewish council starts to get riled up and this is what they tell him. Don't you ever speak the name of Jesus again or else. Now, if I was in that moment, just being honest, I would have gone, okay, all right, we're good. We'll tone it down. Just kind of reduce the whole volume level, not so much rhetoric. I'm just gonna back off. We're good, right? I'm good, you're good, right? We're fine. You guys have a nice day. Nice legal counsel people, Right? That's not what these guys do. This blows me away. They get warned to, do, to dial it down, and their response is to rally together and have a prayer meeting. And they pray at that prayer meeting a simple prayer for boldness. It's a simple prayer for boldness. It's the first corporate prayer ever prayed by the first century church ever. They get told, tone it down, and they decide to ramp it up. Acts 4.29 says this, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What do they pray in the face of physical threats? They pray for boldness. What do they pray for in a time that begged for political correctness and terminal niceness? They pray for boldness. They go the opposite way the world tells them to. They pray this, we will go bold or we will go home. Go home. What can we take from that? I just come up with a series of questions. Are we bold enough to keep going? 
Are we bold enough to keep making disciples and bold enough to keep baptizing? Are we bold enough to serve when it hurts and when it's inconvenient? Are we bold enough to give when it hurts, realizing it's more blessed to give than to receive? Are we bold enough to talk louder when the world keeps telling us to just be quiet? Are we bold enough to do what the first century church did? Here's what we need to never forget. Because they refuse to quiet down, we actually are here. If they toned it down, none of us would be here and none of this would exist. Do we have the courage to do the same? Well, we're going to find out. Church, stand up. I figure if the first century church came up with a prayer that they prayed and were obedient to, and it literally spread to every corner of the world, that that would be a great prayer for our church to pray. So we're going to pray it. I'm not going to ask you to pray it like you mean it. That's, I have never have understood that, all right? I'm actually asking you to pray it out loud so that God can hear you pray it, not, because, not as if you mean it, but because you mean it. Because you actually believe God can take a group of regular, ordinary, unschooled people like us and turn the world upside down if we would just get a little bit more bold with our faith. So we're going to pray it out loud. And so I go, I don't want to, this is weird. Good. Maybe we could do with a little more weird. And maybe it's not about whether or not your neighbor can hear you. Maybe it's whether or not Jesus can hear you. Okay? So we're going to pray. So if I could get the prayer up there on the screen. Come on, church. Let's pray together. Here we go. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Here's what you just prayed. You just prayed that you're going to stop waiting for a golden opportunity from the guy in the cubicle next to you to ask you a nice, tidy question so you can share Jesus. You just prayed you'd have the guts and the fortitude to just talk to him about Jesus without being asked. You just... You just ask God to help you bake cookies, walk them across the street to the neighbor whom you've lived across for from 12, for 12 years and you still don't even know his name. You ask God to empower you to bake cookies, to walk across so you can have a conversation and begin to build a friendship with that person with one solitary hope, that you'll have the joy someday of introducing him to Jesus so you can get in that tank and baptize him. That's what you just prayed. Some of you are freaking out, so we better pray it again. So if I can get the prayer back up one more time, all right? I'm having fun. Here we go. Ready? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen Amen and amen. All right, you can be seated. Every year about this time, I get this question. So, So Grant, where's Christ the King headed? Where are we headed? We will always be headed to the cross. We will always be praying under the name that's above every name. 
that brings salvation. That's where we're headed. But what's it going to take to get there? Well, I put this in your outline. What's it going to take for Christ the King to become a church that pleases Jesus and impacts lives? Well, this is my simple answer. We need to focus on the simple and leave the big to God. No, it doesn't seem very deep. But I can't find anything in the first 15 chapters of Acts that convinces me that it needs to be complex. We just loved each other and looked after each other. And prayed to Jesus every day. Simple, bold prayers. So, um, here's what I'd like to recommend for us as a church to be working on in the next little bit. We need to pray simple, bold prayers. Let's just have a real honest moment, okay? We're a church, right? So it's okay, you know, to be honest. When you pray, you probably pray like I do. You pray for yourself, your immediate family, you throw in two or three sick people, and you ask God to keep you safe all the time. Let's just be honest, right? That's probably 80 to 90% of what we pray. What if we just added one simple, bold prayer? every time we talk to Jesus. Jesus, I need you to heal my marriage because it's fallen apart and I don't know what to do. Jesus, I need you to heal my husband or wife because they have cancer and I'm afraid to ask because I don't want to be disappointed. Would you heal him? Jesus, I'm sick and tired of being quiet. Would you give me the boldness and the courage to speak out for you? Jesus, would you help me make it through Monday? Just a simple, bold prayer. What if we started praying prayers that only God could answer? big God-sized prayers. Jesus, we want to see 3,000 people baptized this year. Only you could pull that off. How about some simple, bold authenticity? Christians are the best liars I know. How you doing, brother? I'm fine. Really? Why did you cry through the last hour? started crying when we the first note of the music and you cried for a whole hour you really sure you're fine i don't think you're fine so why don't we pray about that and why don't we always remember that christ the king it's okay to not be okay and and you, you know it's amazing i see people you know like well if they tell us they lie and they say they're fine and then if we figure out they're not fine we lie to them again i'll pray for you I have found one, only one way to not be a liar with that, with that statement. Pray right then. Don't wait. Need to pray? Let's go and pray right now. I don't care if we're in the middle of the street, middle of Bellis Fair. I'll put my hand on your shoulder. We're going to bow our head, pray to Jesus. Jesus owns Bellis Fair. He owns the commons. He owns everything. It's his territory where you're standing is on holy ground because Jesus is there. So just pray. Okay? Pretty simple. All right? It's a simple authenticity. 
I want to encourage you to simply serve. Because here's the deal. This is me, you know, hanging out with Peter and just being blunt. Some of you come and sit at a service, but you don't serve at any of them. You come and you get, and then you just walk out of here. It's like, I hope somebody else takes care of the kids. Hope somebody else runs the nice video stuff. Hope somebody else does it. Scripture says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So here's the deal. If you sit at one, I actually expect you to serve at one. Is that too much to ask? I really do. So kicking up a notch, get in the game, come and hang out with us. It's fun. You'll meet other people who love Jesus. It's kind of a kick, actually. We do it every six days. We could use your help. That'd be cool. Awesome. Here's the last one. Um, what about, what if we just had some simple faith that believed that people are still having their lives transformed? I met a young guy last week. I, I had coffee with him on Thursday. He went to a local liquor store, bought 200 bucks worth of hard liquor, was going to go home and basically drink himself to death. And he stopped at that intersection, reached back to get an early start by grabbing a Bible, ended up turning, came up behind the porn shop, came to church Saturday night about four weeks ago and gave his heart to Jesus. Simple as that. He's a different human being. We had coffee on Thursday. He's real life. You can take his pulse. He's got flesh. It's a pretty cool deal. Could it really be as simple as talking about Jesus, serving like Jesus, acting like Jesus, giving like Jesus? Could it really be as simple as doing that and watching God take our effort and touch every single corner of the earth? I think we need to focus on the simple. Let's just leave the big to God. Let's pray. We're out of time. So now, Lord, would you consider the threat of this world and enable the people of Christ the King to speak your word with great boldness? Would you stretch out your hand to heal broken marriages, broken bodies, broken lives, and broken minds? And would you perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus? Father, I pray for those who don't know Jesus as their personal Savior. And I pray today in an act of simple faith that they would confess their sin, that they would repent, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that they would live every day of their life from now until they get to go home with power and passion in fulfilling this amazing mission you've sent us on. Father, I pray for those of us who've known you for years that we would be bold this week. That we would not wait but that we would pray a simple prayer that we would be boldly authentic, that we would boldly serve, and that we would never, ever make it more complex than Jesus saves. We thank you for the name under which we have been saved. May it motivate us like the first century church to speak. 
boldly. And it is in your good name that we pray. Amen. We've really set up this fall to make it really, really easy for you. You see, there's a whole bunch of people in this room right now who did the first part. You repented and gave your heart to Jesus. You've just never been baptized. Cool news for you. Two weeks from now, the tank will be full. The top will be off. And I don't know what your excuse is anymore, but get in the tank. Be bold and get in the tank. No one gives a rip what your wet hair looks like. Seriously. Just get in the tank and be obedient to Jesus. It's as simple as that. Some of you are like, I don't even know where to start getting plugged in. This is a new thing. It's called CTK Life. It used to be called What's Happening. On the outer four pages are all the things that are going on. Wednesday morning women's Bible studies. Tuesday night recovery stuff, Thursday night recovery stuff, flip side, doxa, middle school kids, it's all in here. And then inside there is another little deal that we came up with, something called community life. These are all things that happen here at Christ the King that were started by a group of crazy people who just decided to be bold. Tuesday night, over 200 men meet here, a thing called Band of Brothers. It was started by one crazy guy named Raul who actually thought that men needed Jesus. Any Band of Brothers in the room? There they are, okay? So, and all kinds of stuff. If you're a missions person, two Sunday nights from now, I'm gathering the missions community of Christ the King. If you've ever gone on a trip, if you've ever dreamed of going on a trip, if you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning praying for Nepal and you have no idea why because you've never met anybody from Nepal and you've never been to Nepal, you're probably a missions person and you need to come and hang out with a group of other missions people. And we're going to talk about where in the world God wants us to go next because the Great Commission is still being fully enforced and we need to go to the othermost parts of the earth and that's all I have to say about that. So, This is your connection to everything that God has for you. Last week we learned that movements move, so move on. Simple as that. We are going to continue in our worship by giving back to God our tithes and our offerings. This is simple generosity on behalf of the people who call Christ the King home. If you're visiting with us, when the offering comes down your row, I want you to do me a favor. As a guest, just hand it to the next person. We don't want anything from you. Your gift to us is the fact that you showed up here today. I hope you'll come back next week and see us again real, real soon. The ushers will start in the back, work their way towards the front. When the offering has passed you by, you're going to stand and you're going to do something. It's called simply worship. We're going to sing a couple songs. The first one's my favorite. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But he washed it as white as snow. That is worth singing, church. Don't miss the opportunity. God bless you.